You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Many of you know I uh, grew up in the Dominican Republic, right? Uh, at about around age eight, I moved over to the Dominican Republic. My parents were uh, missionaries there. And as you can expect, or if you know anything about the Dominican Republic, baseball's life, right? And I, when I moved, I was eight and I decided, hey, I want to play baseball, right? I want to be like the other kids. I want to fit in. And so my parents signed me up. They said, hey, we're going to send you to the league. It was convenient for them. They'd get rid of me for half the day and they could send me to the league to play baseball. And so naturally I started playing. I remember coming up to bat, not knowing anything about the fundamentals of baseball and them teaching me through this process on how I was supposed to play baseball in the first place. And at around age 14, um, there was a tournament, right? That ESPN was having and they had chosen our league to represent the Dominican Republic. And so I was lucky enough to be the one kid who wasn't Dominican, but who was chosen for the team, right? And so they decide, they give me my t-shirt and we board this plane on our way to Orlando to play this tournament. And when I look at the shirt they give me, it says, I am Dominican. And that was the jersey, right? And so I was a little conflicted, um, being like, am I Dominican? You know? Um, but nonetheless, I decided, yo, I'm going to go. You know, I'm not going to be the one kid that stays behind, right? And so uh, we went, and I wore the shirt that says, I am Dominican. And I represented the Dominican Republic, right? And I was tasked with this idea of representing them, right? And making sure that I played a role in this tournament that was hopefully for the good, right? In representation. And church, the Christian life is kind of similar to that, right? God has made us a new creation in him, right? And his desire for his people is that we would live out this new identity in Christ in a way that's consistent with who we are as his children. And so today we're going to explore verses 17 through 32, and we'll be continuing in chapter um, 4 to understand what it means. What does it mean for us to live this Christian life out in our new identity? What does it mean to walk that Christian life? Because if if I'm honest, right, when I read the passage, I'm like, there's put off, put on, put off, put on. I'm like, this is exhausting, right? And I know it can feel like that at times, but see, we as his people have been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that this doesn't have to be exhausting, right? We can work out our sanctification and engage in that work because we know we're not alone, Our transformation as Christians is ultimately fueled by the power of the Spirit, and we can rest in that. So I want to point out uh, verse 17. We'll pick it up there where we see Paul telling the church of Ephesus how they should leave their old way of living and put off the old self, embrace this new humanity in Christ. He starts by telling them that they shouldn't live as the Gentiles. And when he uses that word Gentiles, he's not necessarily referring to their ethnicity at the moment. He's using it as a way to say, don't live like the pagans, right? Don't live like those who aren't in Christ. And he describes kind of a list of things that they would be characterized by 
living as pagans. It says they were darkened in their understanding because of ignorance. It says that their hearts are hardened and they're separated from life in God. They had lost all their sensitivity and given into sensuality because of their impurity and because they were full of greed. And that was you and me, right? That's not just Paul talking to the, the church at Ephesus saying, hey, don't live like the pagans. He's talking to us saying, hey, that's not how you should live. There's a different way to live. And I love how he talks about in verse 20, he actually flips the script and says, hey, that's not what I taught you. That's not what you learned in Christ. And that sounds too familiar because I remember as, as a kid, the first um, thing my mom would say on the rare occasion when I got in trouble, she would say, um, who taught you that? Said, Where did you learn that? She would say, I didn't teach you that. It was the first thing she said to which I, I usually responded and said, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? You know, and then that didn't go very well. Um, but that's exactly what Paul's doing here, right? He's saying, hey, I didn't teach you that. That's not what you learned in Christ. And it almost makes us wonder, right? What did he teach them? What was it that Paul had been teaching the church? What is it that the people at Ephesus knew or had learned in Christ? And I think if you look at a couple chapters before, you actually find the answer to that. Because in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You'll see it on the screen. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Right? Paul is telling them, hey, this is who you were. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then he gives them the good news, right? This is what he's referring to. This is what you learn in Christ. But because of his great love for us, it says because of that love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And I love this passage because as we saw a couple of weeks ago, right later in the passage, he's going to say, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Paul's reminding the people of Ephesus that they don't longer have to live as slaves, but rather they can embrace this new humanity. He's saying to us, hey, you are a chosen race. You are a new race, a new creation, a chosen priesthood in Christ. See, Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs that we embrace or maybe these ideas that we need to follow, but Christianity is a walk. It's a walk in which we embrace who Jesus is. It's a walk in which we're empowered by a spirit to leave the old self out of an understanding that we've already been made new. He's challenged us to think through the way in which we're living and inviting us to say, hey, there's a way in which you can live that is consistent with who you are. 
And that's why this idea doesn't have to be exhausting, right? Because we can embrace to say, hey, I don't have to put off and put on, put off, put on, thinking I have to be better, right? I can live as a child of God and I can walk in that way, right? That's what it means to be adopted in Christ. I'll give you an example for us to kind of think through this, right? And um, bear with me for a second, but if you want to think about uniforms for, for a second, and you may be wondering where I'm going with this, but uniforms are usually meant to kind of indicate, right, what we do. They're meant to indicate what we've been prepared or equipped to do. You think of a doctor, for example, right, that wears a white coat. When they walk into the room, you automatically assume, okay, they're here to help me, right? I love the hospital. I know some of you guys don't, but if I'm sick, I'm going there, and those people with the white robes hook you up, right? But imagine all of a sudden being in the hospital, in a room, and all of a sudden this person walks in dressed as a firefighter. First stop for me is like, yo, this place is on fire. I got to get out of here. Get, me, get this stuff off of me, right? But how weird would that be, right? And even if they come and say, hey, I'm actually a doctor. I'm just, it's, you know, it's Halloween. I'm like, nah, you're not going to help me, right? Because that's just weird. And that's, that's what Paul's saying here, you know. We as Christians should have a walk. We as Christians should be consistent with who we are. And that doesn't mean I got to know what to say, right? It's not, I got to go to church and then need to make sure I sing the songs. You know, I got to go make sure I hit this meeting and hit this discipleship group and community group with Tyler. You know, it's not this stuff. And Tyler's not coming after you anyways, but um, just so you know. But that's not what it is, right? That's not what the Christian life is. Our outward appearance should be consistent with who we are because we are being transformed by Jesus. That's what the next verses are going to talk about when he says about making sure that your clothes are matching it, right? Making sure that you take off and put on. That's what he's talking about. If you look at verse 22, there are actually three things that we should be doing as Christians. And it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of living or of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? First, we see this idea of putting off the old self. And I want us to hold that thought for a second because we're going to come back to that when he talks about what we're supposed to be putting off, right? But secondly, he tells us that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And you might be wondering, at least for me, the first time I read it, I said, what is this, right? What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your minds? What does Paul mean by this? I want to understand, I want to help us understand kind of some of the ways in which we can pursue that renewing of our mind. And the first is that we should pray and walk in the spirit. See examples of this even in the book of Ephesians, right? Where it says that Paul was praying for them and he was specifically praying that their eyes would be 
open, that their eyes would be enlightened in order that they may know the hope that they have been called to. Titus 3 tells us that he saves us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that as Christians, we should hold a posture of saying, hey, Holy Spirit, which is the word we don't want to talk about in church a lot of times, right? Hey, Holy Spirit, change me, right? I need to be made new. My heart is deceitful. My mind is full of stuff that needs to be renewed. I need to accept the posture of here I am, right? Change me. I need to pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work it's meant to do in my life. Because if we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe he's changing us. Amen. One of the ways in which the Holy Spirit changes us would be the second thing, which is repentance and truth. Right? We see this idea of truth in this passage and how we're called to be truthful, but the Christian life is a walk of repentance and faith, repentance and truth. And 2 Corinthians encourages us, right, not to lose hope. It says that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And it reminds us that this, this light and momentary affliction or this light and momentary trouble that we're actually experiencing and the, that we go through is actually achieving something that's eternal and is far greater than just the suffering we're in. Right? And that's tough, church. Because when I'm suffering, I'm not thinking, oh yeah, the Lord's doing a great work, right? When I'm suffering, I'm thinking, where is God? Why won't he just show up, right, in the middle of my sickness? Why, does, why do I have to be jobless? Why do I have to go through this? Why do my finances have to be so tough, right? I'm not thinking, man, the Lord is doing some work. We shouldn't be discouraged, right, because it's in those tough times that God is actually shaping us. And we can remind ourselves, right, of the truth. We can remind ourselves of that truth as we're going through those tough times. That's the gospel, church. That's gospel renewal right there. It's the path of repentance and faith where we don't get to define our truth, right? We don't get to define what the truth is, but rather we follow Jesus because we know that he has prepared a good way for us. And we can lean into that. And lastly, in this section, it's going to talk about putting on the new self, right? Which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And he's going to explain, right, how we've been given a new life and what that should look like. Um, but I want us to, to kind of take a look, right, at these instructions that are in this passage, right? The contrast between putting off the old self and embracing this new humanity and Jesus and what we should actually be putting on. And I've created some charts for us to kind of work through that together because I think we're, we're going to be able to see some categories or maybe some themes in these instructions that will actually help us understand what it means to live into that new humanity. Look with me at the screen. You'll see that Paul divides this chapter up and starts addressing specific things, right? And the first thing he addresses is falsehood. 
And he says, instead of falsehood, embrace truth. And what he means by this idea of falsehood is that we actually don't have to pretend, right? I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I don't have to try to impress you. Because I'll tell you, it's going to be really hard to connect with other people if I'm walking in falsehood. And instead he says, walk in truth. Walk in truth of who you are. And it's a call for us, church, to say, hey, I want to be known. And that's tough work, right? Tough work to say, hey, I'm going to be known not only in my highs, not, even, not only in my good things, but I'm going to let some people know some of the dark areas of my life. I'm going to let some people know some of my struggles so that they actually can walk with me in it. And that's what he's saying, put us falsehood. He goes on to say, don't be angry, right? And instead, he says, embrace peace or maybe short accounts. He's calling us to say, hey, don't be angry, but instead, hold short accounts. Don't hold things over people's head. And if you do have something, talk to them, right? But let's hold short accounts to say, hey, I want to choose peace in my life. I want to choose peace every day by not holding things over the other person's head. And then theft, he, he addresses people stealing, right? He addresses uh, making sure that we engage in honest work instead. And maybe you go, uh, I, don't, I don't steal, right? I don't have to do that. But what he's saying is actually honest work, right? He's not saying just don't steal for the sake of not stealing. He's saying engage in honest work. And I think what he means by this in, in idea of engaging in honest work is we should be working as hard as we can for the purpose of sharing with others, right? And that's a responsibility we all have, right? To know that, hey, what I've been given isn't mine, actually. It's actually God's, and therefore I can engage in that honest work and I can share it with others. He addresses corrupt talk, saying, hey, embrace uplifting encouragement. Instead, addresses malice, and says, adopt forgiveness. And we'll actually dive a little bit deeper into those. But what's interesting is when you look at, these, at this list closely, right? One of the things that you will notice is that we're not necessarily being addressed these things in order to make sure that we're just better people, right? All of these observations or all of these things that he addresses in order for us to live in that new humanity are actually relational. And that tells me something. The Christian life isn't something that we're meant to live on our own, right? It's not something that if I only get my quiet time just right, if I learn these verses, if I only learn the right theology, it'll be good. No, the Christian life actually plays in the church, right? In community. That's where the beautiful stuff happens, Our union with Christ should impact those around us. And these things are the things that we're called, right? In living this new humanity. And I know um, some of us may struggle with this, right? I know it's hard to say, hey, I'm going I'm to live in this all the time, right? But I want to give you maybe a sobering thought that will help us as we think through these. And I want to maybe suggest that when we fail to do these things, right, and we choose to live as our old self, not only are we failing God by not living in a way that's 
worthy, right, of him. But we're actually going against God's design for our community. We're going against God's design for Christian community and what he's put in place for us to grow as believer. Because just as sin affects us personally in a negative way, or putting on the new self will also bless those around us, right? When I do these things, when I engage in truth, peace, honest work, I uplift and encourage other people and I forgive. That's what true community is. That's where the Christian walk is proved. That's where I have a chance to bless other people who are around me. And that's why we should take this seriously. Not because I want to be better so that God can somehow, so I can feel better about myself before God. That's not what this is about. This is about loving your neighbor. And there's a, a, a series of, of things that Paul addresses, right? And kind of reasons he gives us for understanding why this journey of putting off and putting on the new self is so important. First, when he's addressing this idea of falsehood, he says that we are members of one body. We are members of one another. So why should you put off falsehood? Well, because we're members of one body. Because we're family. And I don't have to pretend with a family because I'm known, right? I can be real with others, share my struggles and Invite others to walk with me because this is the only way we grow in relationship, right? If you want to grow in connection with someone else, you're not going to grow by just showing them how cool you are, right? You're going to show them the real you and through that your relationships will grow. So this is a call for us to stop pretending and embrace this idea of humbleness and making sure that we are able to show others our true selves because we're, we're to be people of truth, right? Secondly, he says that we should give no opportunity to the devil. And, and when we choose to be angry, church, when we choose to hold on to that anger, we're giving the devil a perfect opportunity for us to be bitter. You ever met somebody who's just angry all the time and bitter all the time? That's what the devil wants, right? Just that window to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start fostering this bitterness in this person's heart so that they can grow to be somebody that's angry. That's how he wants us. But we can be a people who are full of love instead. Again, he gives another reason that we may have something to share when he's talking about honest work, that we should view our possessions, our worldly possessions as his and be able to work harder to be able to share with others. We should embrace this understanding of, hey, these things aren't mine. They're actually his. If I view it in that way, then it's easy to share, right? Because it's not mine anyways. You ever been invited to a dinner where you don't pay, right? You're like, give me the appetizer, <laughs> right? Give me the drink. I'm not paying. My work's paying. I'm not paying. You know? That's the idea, right? That's easy. Right? Why? Because it's not mine anyways. I'm not paying. And that's how we should view our possessions, right? 
That's how we should view what God has given us. <laughs> They're laughing because they know I do that. Um, <laughs> number five says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Why should we choose peace over anger? Why? Because we don't want to give the devil any other window. He's already making windows, right? I want to give him a window to grow bitterness in my heart and let that anger just boil in my heart, right? Get rid of it. And lastly, God has forgiven you, right? Why should we forgive others? Well, because God forgave you. And that last point is extremely important, right? Because that's going to inform kind of how we see everything in our lives. That all these things are good things for us to do, but that we should have a different motivation. That he changes us because of what God has done and that his love that he demonstrated on the cross for us should also be shared with others. And that's what he says in verse 32, right? He says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to be tenderhearted. We are to be kind. And that's not what the church has been known for, right? We've not always been kind to other people. We've We've not always been Loving to other people. See, church, us choosing to put off this old self and embracing a new way of life shouldn't be fueled from us just wanting to be better or maybe some self-improvement that we see on the internet. Us engaging in this work should be a response to the overwhelming love and kindness that our Savior has shown us on the cross. That being that that's what's unique, right, about us as Christians. Anyone can look at this list and be like, yeah, you shouldn't steal. Yeah, don't, don't be angry. Yeah, it's not, it's not good for you, right? Uh, everyone can see that. What differentiates us from belie- unbelievers is actually our motivation and the fact that we are being transformed in Christ. We don't do these things in order to feel some sense of reward or maybe peace that I want to live with. We do this because just as Jesus has been kind to us, we can share that kindness with others. Just as Jesus forgave us, we can forgive others. We as Christians are able to do these things not out of self-preservation, but instead because we long to see the goodness of God in other people. We long to see his goodness just spread among people. And that last verse kind of puts everything in a different category, right? See, before all these things, all these lists of things that we would have had to do in order to win God's approval, right? That's what they would have been there for is, hey, you got to follow this list to the T to make sure that you can win God's approval. But that's not what this is about, right? This puts it in the whole new category, right? He's saying you can do all these things because you have received love from Christ. You can do all these things because of the grace that you have received and you can spread that grace to others. It's no longer about you gaining approval from God. 
You've been purchased by the blood. You've been secured already, right? So go walk. Go walk in a way that's consistent with who you are in Christ. You don't have to try to get right with God. Instead, you can rest in the Holy Spirit and the fact that He is doing a work inside of you to make you more like Jesus. Church, that's what's beautiful, right? That's what's beautiful, and that's what the good news of the gospel is. That we have a God who has drawn near to us so that we don't have to go through all the do's and the don'ts, the put off, the put this, right? This is out of love that we do these things, but not out of obligation. We have been made a new creation. And from that place, we can show others that goodness in Christ, in love, right? And I know it can be frustrating, church, because we live in the tension, right? We live in the tension where we continue to struggle with things. We continue to struggle with anger. We continue to struggle with forgiveness. We continue to struggle with these things, right? And we've been called to walk in a different way. Perhaps you struggle with being truthful, right? Perhaps you struggle being angry or maybe encouraging others is hard to see the good in others, right? But here's the deal, church. Our sanctification is a process. Maybe on the scale, on the scale before Christ, you were a negative two in encouraging others, right? And now you've grown to be positive. Maybe you were a negative three in the anger scale, right? And now you're a positive one, right? But that's the idea, church, is this is a walk. We don't have to hold on thinking, hey, if I was just better, we can embrace God's forgiveness and say, hey, I'm walking the walk. I'm walking the walk and I'm going to stick to it because I know the Holy Spirit is doing the work in my heart that he will bring to completion. If we believe that the Spirit is doing a beautiful work in us, then we need to stick to it, right? Because he will bring us to the next stage. And perhaps those struggles are always going to be there. Perhaps they will always be there. And maybe you just get a little better, right? But if we believe in the Holy Spirit, we know he's doing the work. And if he's dwelling in us, we can embrace that. Church, God's desire is that we would embrace this new self. Trusting in the Holy Spirit, trusting that he's doing the work in us that he will bring to completion and engaging in this work, right? Engaging not out of guilt, engaging not out of a sense of just duty, but in a sense of love. Because when I get better, my community gets better. And when I'm committed to this, I see the goodness of God roll through. And so I can engage in this stuff saying, man, I want that. Right? It's not a negative list anymore. It's actually a positive list because if I'm a child of God, then I can just lean into that. I can lean into that and say, yeah, I'm going to work through my story. Right? I'm going to look at my life story and see the parts where maybe I need to do some work. And you wouldn't be intimidated by that. Why? Because it's a good thing and it's meant for community. I want to encourage you, lean into that. Knowing that Christ has forgiven you. 
He's been kind to you. Therefore, we can do these things out of a place of victory and not defeat. 